Good morning. Good morning. Sorry to hear about the passing of our brother Bob, but we know, as uh, Howard said, he's rejoicing now. The question I have to, for you is, what about you? When you die, will you go to heaven? Will you have reason, reason to rejoice when you pass away? Will your family have reason to be encouraged when you pass away that you're passing into the presence of the Lord? And uh, the reason I'm asking that is that is really is the subject of our passage today. If you would turn with me to Luke in chapter 18, we'll continue in our study in verse 9. Luke 18, and starting in verse 9, says, Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus is teaching here a parable, and we talked about parables in the past. It's a story that uh, helps explain a spiritual point. And the spiritual point that Jesus is trying to explain has to do with his listeners. He says in verse 9 again, that he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So if these people were here when I started this morning by asking the questions, are you going to heaven? They would have been the first one to raise their hands and say, yes, we're going to heaven. Now, Jesus is going to do them a favor and show them that they're not. Okay, and I'm, I'm calling it a favor because it would be far worse of Jesus to leave them in ignorance and to wait until they're, if you would, standing, ready to enter heaven, and Jesus has to say, no, you cannot come into heaven. Much better to tell people ahead of time while they can still do something about it. Okay, so it may seem mean, to tell people, no, you're not going to heaven, but it's really being done for their own good here. So he tells them the parable, and the story has uh, two men in it. Always, when we have these stories, we ask, uh, who are the characters in the story? Who are the characters? Who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about, uh, first, a Pharisee. Uh, Pharisees are a very familiar character in the Gospels uh, to us. They were a sect of Judaism, that was uh, perhaps the most strict in their adherence to the Jewish law. So there's many laws in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, 
And uh, actually, if you count them, there's 617 of them. And most people admit uh, to themselves they can't keep them all. And they'll just pick a few and they'll pick those, I mean, they'll, they'll keep those commandments and hope that by keeping those commandments are somehow good enough. That's what the Pharisees, they really try to keep all 100, 617. And then they added on, on top of them more things that they could do to make themselves even better. Israel was called to be separate from the Gentiles. They had to keep themselves closer to God than the Gentiles' nation were. And the Pharisees were keeping themselves separate from the rest of the nation of Israel in their strict adherence to the law of God. And uh, if you asked uh, a Jew in the time of Jesus, uh, can you tell me who are the ones that are going to heaven, they will probably say, well, the Pharisees for sure. And then, you know, the rest of us are trying to get there. Well, so that's the first character we have here is the Pharisee. Uh, the second we have is a tax collector. Now, we don't like paying taxes in the United States. In fact, that was our excuse to uh, separate from Great Britain was having to pay taxes. And uh, we may not like tax collectors, but uh, we don't have half the excuse to dislike tax collectors as the Jews did. At least when, when I pay taxes, there's some reason to hope that those taxes are going to pay for education for my children. Uh, they'll go to pay for our roads that I can drive to get to work or get to church. So there's benefits for myself out of paying taxes. I shouldn't be so upset about having to pay it. In Israel, if you pay taxes, there's two things they may have done. One, uh, they, they would have gone to feed the masses in Rome. The emperor had to keep the people at Rome happy and have a gladiator shows for them. And uh, somebody had to pay for it. So, well, here are the Jews. We'll take some money out of them and we'll use that to pay for entertainment or food in Rome. So you as a Jew had no benefit of that, so you weren't happy about that. Uh, second, the other main expense was probably maintaining an army. Those Jews are rebellious, and we need to keep them down, so we need to have a legion or two of Roman soldiers in Israel to maintain the peace, and that's where my tax money went. So I basically paid Rome in order to entertain themselves and to enforce their rule over me. So I wasn't happy paying taxes to Rome. Uh, so that's the beginning of the problem. The other is the tax collector was typically a Jew himself. So Rome wouldn't hire somebody uh, in Italy or Rome to go all the way to Israel and to you know, try to go around and figure out how much money each of you has and then start collecting taxes. No, they, they would hire a local Jew, somebody who already knew everybody. He was in place. He knew how much money everybody has. And that person would do the, the tax collection for Rome. So here is... This guy, he's a tax collector. First of all, I, I, I don't like what he's doing. He's taking my money and giving it to Rome. Second of all, he's a traitor. He's a fellow Jew to me, and he's betraying me and the whole nation by helping the enemies. So th this guy, as far as I'm concerned, he sold his soul. This guy does not deserve to go to heaven. He betrayed the people of God, and he's helping God's enemies collect money from them. Uh, Second, not, not just was he, was he doing this hated job, but he was padding in on his own pocket along the way. So he would come to me, and I would owe Rome $1,000, but he would say, Noad, you give me $2,000. I'm going to send 1000 to Rome. I'm going to pick, keep the other 1000 to myself. So not just he was a, a, a tax collector, he was a cheating tax collector. He would keep some of the money for himself. And if I complained or raised a hand, I'd get a knock on the door from the local uh, Roman soldier, 
And they would make me obey this tax collector because he was their man. So these guys were really hated. If there's one person a Jew would be certain would not be going to heaven, it would be this tax collector. Now, if we could have a first slide over here. I confess, uh, people ask me what I do, and I tell them I'm a characterization engineer. And most people go, what? <laughs> well, what that means is uh, I get to look at data all day long. My company makes LEDs. These are uh, little lights uh, that are somehow more advanced and better, so please go out and buy one. And uh, it's my job to decide how good they are. So I will look and we'll find that some are better than others. And that really be my job, is to somehow uh, measure these LEDs and uh, find which are the good, which ones are the bad. So I spend a lot of time looking at what we call a, a population chart or distribution chart that shows you know, the, good, the good LEDs and the bad LEDs. Um, so in this case, we're gonna do it with, uh, with what I call a perceived human holiness chart, or you can call it human goodness or whatever it is that you want to call it. And uh, it's interesting to me that if you would take Israel as a whole, as a population, Jesus picked the very best, and he picked the very worst. I should say the very best, the Pharisees, from a human perspective, and the very worst, the tax collector. And uh, the good thing about that is you would find yourself somewhere <coughs> in the middle. I put an arrow, you are here. If you were listening to Jesus, you would fall somewhere within that spectrum. You couldn't say you were better than the Pharisees. You couldn't say you were worse than the tax collectors. You'd be somewhere in the middle. And so the question here, who is going to heaven? Is it going to be the tax collectors? Sorry, tax collectors? Or the Pharisees? Well, you're somewhere in the middle, so you want to know. This is an important question for you. Okay, so now they're going to the temple. Now remember, uh, in our, uh, you know, we're thankful that if I want to go and, and, and worship God, at a church, there's a church that's fairly close to my house. I don't know about you. For me, it's about a mile and a half away. I'm very thankful how close it is. And most people will find a church that's close to them, and they'll attend that church because it's convenient to go to. Well, in Israel, there was just one place, the temple. In fact, it was the one place in the world that if you wanted to come and commune with God, this is where you would have to go to. God would make his presence known in the temple and if you wanted to interact with God, to come to God, this is the place you had to do it at. So you see this Pharisee and tax collector going to the temple. What they're saying is very serious. They may have spent days traveling to this place. And what they're saying will express how they feel about God, how they, where they feel they stand with God. So this, what they're saying isn't just uh, something to pass over. This is important, what they have to say to God. Okay, so the Pharisee... Uh, has uh, this to say. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all that I possess. He thanks God that he is not like other men. If you would, we'll go to the next slide now. And uh, we used to go to uh, a place called the Zucchini Festival in Hayward. I think I mention it almost every time I'm up here, so I apologize if you've heard this story many times before. But uh, we would have a big sign in the Zucchini Festival and ask 
uh, and the sign would say, are you good enough to go to heaven? Take the test here. So some people would actually venture to come to us to find out if they're good enough to go to heaven. And the first question we would ask them is, well, do you think you are good enough to go to heaven? And invariably, we would get an answer that's demonstrated in this chart. Most people believe that they're better than most people. It doesn't actually add up if you do the statistics, but most people believe they're better than most people, and so they would put themselves somewhere on the right hand of the chart over there. And they believe that, well, God would put a line somewhere. Not, not everybody can go to heaven, right? There are some bad people. And not everybody will go to heaven. I'm sorry, not everybody will go to hell because of some good people. And not everybody will go to heaven because there are some bad people. And so there's going to be a line somewhere. Exactly where it is. Maybe I'm kind of harsh. I was drawing it through the C plus, C minus here. Some people might move it all the way to like the D or near F and say, well, only the really bad people won't make it to heaven. Some people say, no, you really only have to select the really good people, so you better be up near the Bs or the As. But whatever it is, people felt that they were on the good side. Whatever, wherever God draws the line of who's good enough and who's not good enough, most people had themselves on the right side. Okay, I think I'm good enough because I'm better than most people. God draws the line. I'm on the right side of that line, so I'm okay. And that's essentially what this Pharisee is saying. He's saying to God, God, I'm, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm up here at the top. And again, this is his own mind. You know, this is not what God says about the Pharisees. In his own mind, he was better than everybody else. He was there at the top. Uh, he, he lists them extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. All these bad people are way over there. I'm over here. I'm not doing it. Again, Jesus points out that the Pharisees on the inside were just as bad as these other people. But the Pharisees, and most people, don't recognize it about themselves. They think they're basically good. Maybe I've done a few bad things, but I'm basically a good person. Jesus exposed that to the Pharisees. This guy obviously hasn't had that, his eyes opened about it yet, so he thinks, I'm doing pretty good. And then he adds some of the good things he's doing. I fast Twice a week. Twice a week this man will not eat and possibly not drink, depending what kind of fasting it is, in order to be pleasing to God. The Old Testament, as far as I know, only asks you to do it once a year. Once a year you were not supposed to eat on the Day of Atonement. This guy was doing it twice every week. He really tried to be good enough to go to heaven. Okay, He really worked at it. And uh, I give tithe of all that I possess. That was one of the laws in the Old Testament. You were supposed to, to give a tenth of what you made to God. And uh, the Pharisees were very, very strict about literally going and picking every tenth leaf off the bush of herbs. That's how picky they were, but really making sure that they were being good. And they were keeping themselves at the very top of that chart. Okay, that's the Pharisee. So the Pharisee thinks he's going to heaven based on his performance and his idea of where God would draw the line. The next is the tax collector. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says that the tax collector was standing afar off, and he would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. The Pharisee felt he was good enough. The tax collector 
did not feel like he was good enough. He didn't even come close. Let's say the temple, uh, first of all, it, it's, a, it's a large court, and in the large court there is a, an actual temple, and in the temple there's a holy place in the Holy of Holies. This guy apparently just stepped in the door of the court. He wouldn't even go close to God. He didn't feel worth it, worthy of approaching God. He may have been afraid of what God would do to him if he came any closer. He kept his eyes down. He didn't even look up to heaven because the Bible says that, that uh, heaven is where God's throne is. Okay? He, didn't, he, he didn't feel worthy in any way to approach God. Uh, it says that he beat his breast. Uh, in the Old Testament, that's a sign of conviction of, of sin. I feel bad about what I have done. Uh, he recognizes that he has offended God, and he deserves judgment for what he has done. <clears throat> Which, uh, by the way, is not looking at the curve. The tax, the tax collector is not looking at the curve and saying, boy, you know, you know, I wish I was on the A side. The tax collector is looking at God. And he sees himself falling short of where God wants him to be and having to answer God for how he's doing. He's not, he's not looking at this curve over here. And he, he makes one request. He says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Uh, it's notable to me, he's not making any offers to God. He's not saying, God, uh, if, I, if I work very hard and I make it into the C category, would you please take me to heaven? He says, no, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. I know I deserve hell. Please don't send me there. Please be merciful on me. That's his only plea. Uh, reminds me of a hymn we sing. It says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee, for grace, foul, I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. This person has nothing to offer God. He's just, he's just reaching, grasping for anything he can get from God, for God's mercy. He's just asking for God's mercy. Okay, well, Jesus now tells us the end of the story, the conclusion. What happens? Which one will go to heaven? The tax collector? Who, uh, who is at the very bottom of the curve, all he can do is ask God for mercy? Or is it the Pharisee who has worked so hard his entire life to outperform everybody else and be able to come and say, look God, I'm at the top of the curve. Take me to heaven. Which one will make it? Well, Jesus tells us, uh, in case it's not clear, he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. He's talking about the tax collector. He's saying the tax collector went to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. In other words, he's saying this, I'm going to take this tax collector to heaven. The Pharisee I'm not taking to heaven. And unless something changes in the life of the Pharisee between that time and the point in which he passes, he will not go to heaven. This Pharisee who worked his entire life to put himself at the top of the human curve will go to hell. How is it possible that the very best of humanity is going to hell and the very worst of humanity is going to heaven? That's what Jesus is saying in this parable. And let me try to answer it in two more slides. 
So here's the first explanation for the first one. How is it that the very best that humanity has to offer is not making it to heaven? Well, when I do my job as a characterization engineer and I measure LEDs, I measure which ones are better and which ones are worse, but I also have what we call a specification that they have to meet. I'm making an LED. It better produce a certain amount of light. We measure light in lumens. So I may say, I need an LED that produces 100 lumens. And if it doesn't produce 100 lumens, I don't care if it's at the top of the curve. It doesn't meet specification. It's just not good enough. My customer is not going to buy it. In the same way, God has a specification. He has a standard you have to meet to get to heaven. And that standard is called the glory of God. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. All have sinned and fall, fall short of the glory of God. What God expecting us as people to be, we fall short of. And because of that, none of us can make it into heaven by our own efforts. The Pharisee who tried to excel and put himself at the head of the curve was still not good enough. And that is why the Pharisee will end up going to hell if nothing changes his course. Okay, go to the next slide, if you would. The difference is, or, or, or uh, the difference between the two, the reason one of them is going to heaven and the other one for hell, we recognize both of them deserve hell. Neither one deserves to go to heaven. The reason one of them is going to heaven is one of them asks for God's mercy. And you know what? God's mercy takes you all the way across that line of standard. And that's how a person can be saved. Not by anything you accomplish, but because of what God accomplished. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son so that whosoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And when Jesus paid for our sins, he made a way for us all to go to heaven by us simply believing on him. Simply as this tax collector put his trust in the mercy of God and said, God, <coughs> let me uh, read the line again. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's, that's what the, the road that this tax collector took, and that's the road each of us can take to get to heaven. Trust in the mercy of God. Call upon God to save us. It says this. In Romans 10, 12, and 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's promise. Whoever will call upon God as this tax collector to save them, God will save. The problem, the reason both of them did not go to heaven is one of them did not call 
upon the Lord to save him. One of them did not look to God's mercy. He looked to his own performance. And that is why only one of them made it to heaven. Okay, so we looked at the story. We looked at the conclusion. And last of all, we look at the principle. So this is the principle that Jesus quotes at the end of his story. He says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, that's a general principle. Whenever Sharon and I see one of our children being proud, which happens with some frequency, we tell them pride comes before the fall, and uh, inevitably something happens. So it's a principle that's always true, but we want to apply it to this particular story as Jesus applies it. First of all, uh, it is the pride of the Pharisee that led him to his fall. It's because the Pharisee looked at this curve. He was at the top of the curve and said, I'm doing really well. He looked at himself. He felt good about himself that he fell because by, by having confidence in his own achievement and what he could do, he didn't look for God to save him. So it really was his own pride that was the fault of his fall. It's been said that pride is the one sin that will keep you out of heaven because it is because of your pride that you don't look for God to save you. On the other hand, it is the humbling of the tax collector that led him to be saved. Uh, to be proud means to think that you're better than you really are. Now, the Pharisee, he was pretty good, but he wasn't as good as he thought he was. He wasn't good enough to make it into heaven. He wasn't good enough to meet God's standard. He, he wasn't as good as he thought he was, or he thought he was better than he really was. That's pride, thinking you're better than you really are. Humility means to see yourself as you truly are. And that's what the tax collector did. The tax collector looked, and again, I don't think he was looking up to the Pharisee and said, boy, that's a pretty hard standard to meet. I need God's help. I think the tax collector was somehow able to see the glory of God, the standard of God, and he realized he was falling infinitely short of it. And because of that, because he humbled himself and realized the truth about his state, he just cried out for the mercy of God. And that's what saved him his humility, his recognition of where he really was. Before I was saved, I remember very clearly standing where I was in the world and seeing where, where uh, Christians stood. I, I started coming here to Calvary Bible Chapel, and I could tell they believed something completely different than I did, and uh, they seemed to be on their way to heaven, and, and I didn't seem to be on my way to heaven. And I was telling God, I'm here on a, a peak, like a mountain, and I see them over here on another mountain, but in between those fog, I have no idea how to get from here to there. And I remember promising to God, God, if you will show me the way across, I will show it to other people as well. Now, I can't say that I've done a great job showing other people the way, but what God had to do to me in order to get me across to the other side, he had to show me myself in my sin before the holiness of God. He had to make me realize that I stood before God with all my sins laid before him. And as a holy God, he could never let me into his heaven. And that is when I finally understood 
that God made another way to get to heaven. As long as I was down here with the Pharisees, I wasn't as good as the Pharisees, maybe I was just a B instead of an A, or at least I thought I was, but as long as I looked at, at how well I could do, I was missing the way that God has actually made to get into heaven. Once I realized I had no chance whatsoever to make it into heaven, that all of a sudden the light dawned. And I understood that Christ died for my sins to make a way into heaven for me. And so if you find yourself in the same place today that I was in, where you're standing over here and there's Christians over here and you're like, I know I'm not like them, but I have no idea how to get where they are. Well, that's the way. You have to go down to the bottom. You have to realize the truth about where you stand before God, before you will see this way, this, this way that God has made for people to be saved and to get to heaven. I remember uh, when I was in Yosemite a few years ago, we had a preacher called uh, Larry Price. And uh, Larry Price shared about his life, how he had to go through uh, a very low place in this world before God opened his eyes to see the way to heaven, and how his son also rebelled and also had to go through some miserable experiences before he also saw the way to heaven. And he, he told us how he was teaching his grandchild to pray, Lord, show me that I am the sinner that Christ died for. Lord, show me that I am the sinner that Christ died for. If you have a hard time understanding what I'm talking about, about the way to go to heaven, or the fact that you can't get there in any way through your own achievement and hard works, that's the prayer that you need to pray. God, show me that I am the sinner that Christ died for. Without seeing that, without recognizing the truth of that, you cannot make it into heaven. There is no way up for you across and into heaven. You must first recognize that about yourself. Now, having said that, that's not an easy thing to do. Which goes back to why you need to pray to God to show you that. But I was thinking about that. Why is it so hard for us to recognize the truth about ourselves, that we're helpless sinners that need the grace and mercy of God. And uh, I came up with three answers. The first one is the flesh. We're born with a sinful nature. That's what the Bible teaches. When, Adam, when God created Adam and Eve, they were sinless. They didn't have a sinful nature. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, their very nature changed and became sinful. And we, as their children have inherited that sinful nature, and as a result, we think we're better than everybody else. We have pride. Pride is sin, and it's part of our sinful nature. We automatically think we're better than others. I mentioned the statistics before. Most people, they think that they're better than most people. You know, it doesn't add up, but the truth is that's what we are. We all think we're better than everybody else, or most everybody else. It's pride. It's something inherited in our nature. And that's one of the things that make it so hard to recognize that we're not good enough and we can never be good enough on our own. Pride in our human nature, the flesh, sin. The second is the world. We live in a world that, uh, that recommends pride, or a world that says you should be proud. It says be proud about who, who you are. We have 
here and I think in other places in the world something called uh, the Gay Pride Parade. And I'm not saying it to express that I'm against being gay. The Bible says that. The funny thing is that they think they make it better by calling it Gay Pride. Because I'm proud about who I am, it's okay. I mean, that's just the way the world thinks. Pride is good. If you have low self-esteem, we'll send you to the psychiatrist to fix you up. Well, no. <laughs> you should have low self-esteem. You need to recognize that's where you truly are. That's what the Bible tells us. It's hard in this world to have low self-esteem because that is not the way of the world. Uh, the third one, and uh, it relates to the other one, Satan is at work in this world. Satan led man into sin against God, and he's still around, and he still wants to keep people separated from God. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, so this is the gospel, that red line up there, the mercy of God, that takes us from being out of God's, uh, below God's standard, into meeting God's, God's specification and going to heaven, going to heaven. The fact that God in his mercy can take us to heaven, that is the gospel. But even if our gospel is veiled, that is, people can't see it. It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who is the God of this age? It is Satan. He is the God of this age. The God of this world is Satan. The one who deceived mankind to sin against God is still alive and well working in this world, which explains, among other things, why the world extols pride and other things like that. <clears throat> Whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. He is blinding their eyes. How is Satan blinding people's eyes from the gospel? God made a, a, a way for heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Does Satan want people to know that? No. How does he blind them? He blinds them just like he blinded this Pharisee with pride, looking at their own works. All world's religions, believe it or not, come from Satan. Many of them are supported by miracles that Satan enables to do so that people believe in them. All world religions will teach you what this Pharisee believed. If you're better than other people, you will go to heaven. They will give you good works to do if you would fasting twice a week, and by doing all those good works, you will somehow make yourself good enough, and by somehow making yourself good enough, you're going to make it to the other side. You're going to make it to heaven. A lie. All world's religion teach that. The father of lies is the devil. All world's religion, one way or another, come from him. He is still at work in convincing people that they can make it on their own. So for those three, three, three reasons, the flesh, the world, and the devil, it is very, very hard to see yourself as this tax collector, as you truly are, are to humble yourself and let God exalt you. Let me finish with this. 
this is a, a hymn. It was written by a, a man named Albert B. Simpson. I read a little bit about his biography since he wrote this. And uh, one of the things I, I found notable is he was uh, church planning or working in different churches. And one of the churches he worked with was at New York. And uh, he was reaching out to the Italians. I think this was about 100 years ago, 150 years ago. So Italians were the latest wave of immigration. And if you studied American history, the latest wave of immigration are always the lowest people. And so the Italians were probably, in some people's minds, similar to this uh, tax collector, the very bottom of the hip. And uh, this man was effective in reaching them. And so many got saved that the people in his church said, wait a second, you know, we don't want all these Italians in our church. Let's start another church, and that'll be their church to go to. And uh, Albert Simpson thought about it for a little bit, and he said, okay, I think I'll go to that church. <laughs> that was the ministry he wanted to be involved with, be involved in helping sinners go to heaven. He wrote this hymn. It says, the mercy of God is an ocean divide. We don't understand how great God's mercy is. We don't understand how much God loves us sinners. And in this hymn, he's encouraging us to explore that. Now remember, you're not going to be able to see the mercy of God or the love of God for what it is if you're in the same place that this Pharisee was, if you're looking at your own works, if you're full of pride, if you're trying on your own to get to heaven, the God of this world has blinded you and you will not see the gospel, which means you will not get to see God for who he really is. And that's what this, in this hymn, uh, Mr. Simpson is trying to encourage us to do. I'll go ahead and read it. The mercy of God is an ocean divine, a boundless and fathomless flood, launch out in the deep, cut away the shoreline, and be lost in the fullness of God. He's uh, inviting you to experience what the fullness of God really is. And to do that, he says you have to cut away the shorelines. The idea of, of holding on to the shorelines is holding on to your own good works and performance, in some way trusting in that. The refrain Lunch out into the deep, oh, let the shoreline go. Lunch out, lunch out in the ocean divine, out where the full tides flow. Again, the call to lunch out. But many, alas, only stand on the shore and gaze on the ocean so wide. They never have ventured its depth to explore or to launch on the fathomless tide. So many are staying on the shore. Well, mercy of God, that's a wonderful thing, but that's not for me to experience. You know, I, I have something else I'm trusting in. I've worked really hard. I'm not ready to give up all the things I've done for God. I'm not ready to just launch myself on the mercy of God. I want to have something solid, some of my good works, going to church, all the things I've done. I want those things to get me to heaven. I'm not ready to just say, I'm a helpless sinner, and only the mercy of God can save me. That's too much. That's too much. And others just venture away from the land and linger so near to the shore that the surf and the slime that beat o'er the strand dash o'er them in floods evermore. So here it seems to be talking about people who are willing to say, well, 
I need the mercy of God. I acknowledge that. But they're staying close to the shore, which means they're not willing to completely trust the mercy of God. Maybe they will say this, okay, I believe you, that if I can, be a, if, if I can make it to being a B student or an A student, if, if I can make it to near the top, at least make me in the top half, then the mercy of God can help me. Okay, I have to make it so far, and God can make the rest of my gap. Let me do my 5%, and then God can do the 95 I have to do something. There's something I also must do. Oh, let us launch out on this ocean so broad where floods of salvation overflow. Oh, let us be lost in the mercy of God till the depth of his fullness we know. Nothing else will do. There's no good work that you can stand on. There's nothing you have done that qualifies you to heaven, but God's mercy reaches all the way. Let go of whatever it is that's holding you, whatever goodness you think you have that you're trying to rely on instead of what God has done for you on the cross. Let it go and cast yourself completely on God's mercy like the tax collector did because God's mercy will take you all the way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus being willing to make it known to uh, those who thought that they were righteous in themselves, the truth that their righteousness would not get them to heaven. Lord, help anybody here who is in any way holding on to their goodness, something that they can do to make them right before you, to be willing to let that go and cast themselves completely on your mercy, believing, Lord, that uh, you will abundantly pardon. What you've done in Christ, Lord, we know is enough to save all humanity. Help them trust in that as well. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.